Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. And now I have the, the pleasure of introducing Senator Bernie Sanders. Let me, let me start out by saying both Bernie Sanders and I have been mayors, and in that role we have much in common. We both won our first election as mayor in spite of the fact that the so-called experts in each city at the time didn't give us outsiders of the two-party system much of a chance against a well-known incumbent Democrat. But in 1981 and in 2006 here in Richmond, enough voters wanted to make that change happen. But getting elected, as we all know, is just the beginning. Then you have to succeed in the real work of making City Hall work for the people in your first term and in later ones, if you are granted them. Bernie served with national distinction as mayor of Burlington for eight years, winning four straight elections. Constrained by term limits, I will have matched his tenure in office, serving two four-year terms, and this is my eighth year of service as mayor myself. So I'm very proud to have that in common with the senator. Um, a lot of powerful local business interests and old guard, union, and political forces try to stand in the way of progress in both of our cities. People throughout the nation, including here in Richmond, gained inspiration from the experience of Bernie Sanders and Vermont progressives three decades ago in Burlington. It is so clear that we can accomplish all kinds of things for people. If you, if you make the, the job of mayor a bully pulpit and help mobilize labor, environmental, social justice groups, and low-income people in your city, giving them a voice and common direction they've never had before. So please, Join me in welcoming a former mayor, a former congressman, and now U.S. Senator who is one of a kind in America. He's an inspiration to us all and maybe just the kind of mainstream party crasher we need in 2016. Bernie Sanders. <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, there are a lot of people here. Thank you all very, very much for coming out. And Gail, thank you for that introduction. And I am here to be as supportive as I can for this ticket that's going to bring people together, that it's going to give Chevron a lesson that they've never forgot. So with your help on election night, you're going to have Tom and Gail and Javanka and Eduardo in office to do the right things for this community. Now, I came here tonight uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, as Gail mentioned, I was a former mayor. I served for eight years. We have two-year terms in Burlington. And in that capacity uh, of taking on 
then the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the railroad, the state, the utilities, the restaurants, the entire Chamber of Commerce, everybody else, we took them all on. And here are some of the lessons that I learned, which I think you know very, very well. Back then, there was a great deal of political alienation. I think it's worse today. Profound anger and disgust. But this is what happened, and I'm sure that it's happening, and this turnout tonight tells me it's happening in Richmond. I ran for office on a plank which said, you know, I'm not here to represent the big money interests. I'm here to represent the middle class and working families and low-income people in my community. And we had a plank, and we laid it out. And the members of the city council, I had two supporters on the city council at the time, 11 against me. <laughs> and at the first meeting, first meeting we had, the majority took away my one appointee. I had to serve my entire first year. The mayor in Burlington is entitled to a city attorney, treasurer, a whole bunch of appointees. They refused to allow me to have my appointees. So I had to run my first year with the group of folks who were loyal to the guy I had beaten in a very contentious election. Try that. <laughs> Do you know what happened? Because we kept faith with the people, because we did what we promised we would do, two years later, we doubled voter turnout. Doubled voter turnout. And low-income people, and working-class people, middle-class people came out in huge numbers. And in my races, I was able to be Democrats, Republicans, Democrats, and Republicans. And at the end, they combined around one candidate, beat them also. All right. Which always, I never forget, that when you're honest, when you're willing to fight for working families, when you're willing to stand up to the powers that be, and you keep your word, people will stand with you, and that's what's going to happen here in Richmond. Today I'm here with two-time mayor of Richmond, Gail McLaughlin. She is the progressive candidate for lieutenant governor in the state of California, recently endorsed by Our Revolution. Welcome, Gail. Thank you so much, Tina. It's great to be here. Um, I want to talk about your stint as the mayor of Richmond. You did some amazing things there, really turned the city around. One of the things that you did that I love is you took on the banks. Uh, you used mm -hmm. eminent domain to do so, and you were mm -hmm. able to get mortgages refinanced for folks. Can you tell us a little bit about how that went down, the background, how you got the idea, and how effective it was? Sure, yeah. So let me first uh, say I'm the uh, former two-term mayor of Richmond, California, and Richmond is a city across the bay from San Francisco. So mm -hmm. I, I served for eight years as mayor. I served for 13 years total. Some of those years were a council member, but it was great to be the elected mayor for two terms until I turned out. And one of the issues that we championed, which you just referred to, 
um, was uh, called the, well, informally it was called the Eminent Domain Program. And what it was was a real innovative foreclosure prevention program. Um, it was during the, the height of the foreclosure crisis. And over, actually, over half of the mortgages in Richmond were underwater. So, you know, people had lost all this equity wow. and... Um, so yeah. many of the our residents have these subprime mortgages and with these mm -hmm. hidden um, um, ballooning payments coming right. up later. And, and it was a, just a really horrible situation where people were facing foreclosure through no fault of their own. They trusted their bankers. You know, you would think mm -hmm. you, would, you could trust the banker that's telling you about your mortgage. But, um, you know, these hidden uh, situations came up later. And so right. they were in a bind. So what we were... Uh, championing was a program where we were seeking from the big banks, first of all, we were asking them to voluntarily sell them to the city so we could reduce the principles, the principles right. and keep the homeowner in the home and um, allow them uh, to have affordable mortgage payments with a reduced principal. And if the banks mm -hmm. were not willing to either reduce the principal on their own, own or voluntarily sell them to the city so we could reduce the principles, um, then we were going to take them by eminent domain and still, of course, pay uh, the fair market value of the right. mortgage, which by this time was a pretty junk mortgage because they were so underwater, but we were going to pay right. a fair market value and um, acquire them by eminent domain. And, um, of course, Wall Street, you know, was all up in arms. And really, they, they went around us, you know, just putting all this pressure on other council members, on me and on other uh, right. cities that we were trying to get other cities to join us. But we kept moving forward. We had a majority on the city council who were willing to do this. But what happened, um, unfortunately, is Wall Street went to Congress. This was a 14 and they put pressure right. they put enough pressure on congress so that congress passed a bill that said any city or any public agency that acquires a mortgage by eminent domain will not get any government insurance for the mortgage <laughs> and mortgages need to be insured and that was the you know we were going to use um, government insurance so unfortunately right. we had to set that program aside. However, because we had put so much pressure on the banks, they did voluntarily, some of them voluntarily reduced the principles. So we did have some impact. But what happens when you have Congress people and, right. of course, people on whatever level of government, elected officials who take corporate money, they're susceptible yeah. to Wall Street and, and corporations. So, um, but we, we really got a lot of national attention, and we think it was a, a great program, and it showed that we were standing with our, with our home, homeowners facing foreclosure. No, it's brilliant. It's, you know, the Wall Street didn't like to get some, didn't like to be served some of what it had given, and I That's believe right. in, in 2013, right? They don't like it. In 2013, right. didn't Wells Fargo and Deutsche Bank try to sue the city over the program? Yes. Or am I... <laughs> Okay. You're absolutely right. They they actually did sue us. Um, they took us to court, and the judge threw it out of court because we hadn't actually 
taken anything by eminent domain. We expected that we'd be sued, and we, we expected we'd be sued, and we had a great uh, legal team that was, you know, felt we had every right to do this because you mm -hmm. use eminent domain uh, for a public purpose, and the public right. purpose was to help our homeowners and keep our neighborhoods stable because when you have all these foreclosed homes, you have more crime and blight. Right. So we were prepared, but we hadn't even taken anything. So the judge said, listen, you know, banks, you, you can't um, uh, claim, uh, make a claim against this city when they haven't even done anything yet. So it, they threw it out of court. So we were, we were pleased to hear that. Yeah, no, that's a great thing. Did, you also had a program that's been referred to as the Richmond Miracle. Tell me a little bit about that. Hmm. Now, I know some people have called the overall transformation that we made in Richmond. Um, in fact, Peter Cameo, who was uh, the late Peter Cameo, who ran for mm -hmm. governor as a Green in California, called the changes that we made in Richmond the Richmond miracle. Um, what we did, first of all, we totally reversed the composition of the council. And that's because we formed an organization called the Richmond Progressive Alliance. I was one right, of the co-founders. Right. And we the purpose of the RPA, it's an inclusive, diverse, year-round, progressive, corporate-free organization whose purpose is to build local political power. And we run local candidates without any corporate money. And I was the first corporate-free elected official, but as of November 2016, we have five corporate-free council members who are that's members fantastic. of the RPA out of seven on the city council. And before the, that's a super majority, and before the RPA came about, we had, um, we had the whole city council in the hands of Chevron. So we completely reversed it. We we defeated all the Chevron candidates and we put in place all the uh, corporate free, R, you know, five corporate free RPA members, which is, uh, I think that's what Peter was referring to, that we really okay. um, were able to do this. But he also was aware of the fact that we reduced crime dramatically. We had a 75% reduction in homicides because we gave people opportunities, job training, GED training and you know recreation programs plus we had a community involved police force and mm -hmm. we just made a, a, a whole we had a outreach teams into our neighborhoods made up of formerly incarcerated individuals who had turned their lives around and they wow, quelled crazy. the violence before it began referring some of the young people who had been involved in crime referring them to the services they needed so it was all preventative work and it really mm. reduced crime and we raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour and we also got mm -hmm. over a hundred million dollars from Chevron um, uh, in, wow. in additional in additional city taxes. So these are some of the um, the things you can do when you have an organization and corporate right. free elected officials working side by side. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Chevron for a moment. They have mm -hmm. a uh, refinery there in Richmond that's been there, I think, the most of a century. And mm -hmm. I know that they own the land, and I, um, I'm pretty certain that they, they're protected by Prop 13 and right. must pay very next to nothing in uh, property taxes. That's I know true. that you did some battles with Chevron. Let's talk a little bit mm -hmm. about your wins in that area. Yes, yes. So 
every um, election year, Chevron would spend you know, countless dollars. They started spending millions, and this was in a city council election, mm-hmm. a city of 110,000 wow. people, not a particularly <laughs> large city, but um, they would crazy. spend this kind of money right to try and defeat us. And in 2014, mm-hmm. they spent $3.5 million in that one election year to try and defeat me and two other progressives. And we all won, and all the Chevron-funded candidates lost. So we say in Richmond, if it could be done in Richmond um, under the money might of Chevron, it could be done anywhere. So we just educate the community. We do a lot of door knocking. And we, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was mayor, of course, I was out there at every community event using the bully pulpit to galvanize the community and stand for, um, you know, people, the the people's agenda. And um, we really moved forward because people's consciousness was raised and they no right. longer thought we just had to roll over for Chevron. Right. And, um, you know, and we also, so we pushed back on this big um, oil giant in our city. We limited their pollution. We also, uh, the right. city is suing them in court right now for harm to our community. I, I led that charge to sue Excellent. them uh, when I was mayor. And, uh, you know, at the same time we push back at the bad guy, the bad oil company, we raise up renewables. We're a part of a Mm. community choice energy program so that 85% of our residents and businesses get their electricity from cleaner, greener, and less expensive sources of energy. And we had a green uh, job training program. Um, we were number one in the Bay Area for solar installed per capita. So, you know, wow. we did both. We pushed back on the uh, the bad stuff and we lifted up the important uh, good things that uh, we need for our environment. That's fantastic. Let's also talk a little bit about the Richmond Progressive Alliance that you just mentioned. I think mm-hmm. that this is an important uh, model for what the DNC should be doing. We need to realize on the left that, we're better together if we form alliances. And when I say form alliances, I mean with the left-leaning independents, uh, the Green mm-hmm. Party, the Democratic mm-hmm. Socialists of America. And mm-hmm. I feel very strongly right now that the Democratic Party, the, the internal establishment, is really tone-deaf to this. And right. they need to realize that their membership is down, or their registered voters is down to around 26%. So they're no longer mm-hmm. in a position to be able to ignore the independent voters, and they're not going to win any elections until they start making appeals to them. So what advice would you give them, since you have been successful in building this alliance, I know that your alliance did have members of all these factions, how Mm -hmm. are you able to get everybody on the same page working together, and what lessons could the DNC take from you? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's really a great question, and it ties right into what my lieutenant governor campaign is all about, because my lieutenant governor campaign has two wings. One wing is to encourage the development and the formation of progressive alliances up and down the state, like Richmond mm-hmm. did. And the other wing yeah. is, of course, to get elected, um, so I could keep the organizing going and connect right. progressive alliances and such. So... Um, What we did in Richmond was we set party 
affiliation aside. So when we formed the RPA and continued to this day, there are progressive Democrats, there are Green Party members, there's people with no party affiliation, there's Peace and Freedom Party members. We came together based on our progressive values to build a big local tent. And that was um, our strength because we really, we had that mission of changing, transforming our city. Um, so what we're, what my campaign is doing, because people started asking after we, after the 2016 election when we got a super majority on the city council, they started asking us, how did you do it? And so right. I started giving presentations, which led to my running for lieutenant governor, and I continue to make these presentations encouraging progressive alliance building. And since over the past year, we have seen the emergence of 10 new progressive alliances up and down the state from wow. San Diego okay. Progressive Alliance all the way up the North Coast. So um, the whole idea is, and they're running local candidates without corporate money. And so they've, mm -hmm. they've modeled themselves after the RPA. They've learned from our bylaws. And we've put out some publications and a, um, a video that kind of tells uh, the story of how we did this. And, and they're moving forward. And so I, I'm really excited about that. And now, uh, I, as I tell people, as I talk about my campaign, um, I say, when I'm elected, if I'm elected with your support, um, we can network all these progressive alliances together and all the Our Revolution groups, the up and down California, I'm endorsed by 34 Our Revolution groups as well as the National Our Revolution group, and all the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, and I've got about eight uh, chapter uh, DSA DSA chapter endorsements and Green Party chapter endorsements. I have so many progressive endorsements. If we can network together, um, we will have that power, that statewide power to address our statewide issues like Medicare for All, single payer, and free public college, and uh, Prop 13, as you mentioned, reform, keeping it for homeowners, however, um, making sure that corporate loophole is closed so that corporations like Chevron pay more taxes as they should have been doing all along. So I'm saying let's build right. that statewide um, big tent regardless yeah. of party affiliation. So the Democrats, uh, more directly to your question, the Democrats are, the corporate leadership of the Democrats are thinking that, you know, they could just talk, you know, talk the talk but never walk the right. walk. And um, But within the Democratic Party, the progressives have had enough, and, you know, especially the Bernie-crat progressives. So they're um, pushing back and they're saying, you know, hey, uh, we're going to change this party. So I encourage that good fight within the Democratic Party while I, I'm staying outside the Democratic Party as an independent. I think it's very important um, to have people uh, on the outside, perhaps. Yeah, someday we'll, we'll have a new party. I don't know. But I think having people fight inside the Democratic Party and people fight as independents and then network together, regardless of party yes. affiliation, as an independent movement. I think that's yes. what's key. We need an independent movement on a statewide level, and we could do it if we have all these progressive alliances and progressive groups standing up for their city and region, regional issues, and then connecting together to stand up 
for all our state issues. Yes, I, you know, and I concur with that. I think they need to have the pressure from the outside if they are really going to change their ways and return to the working class as opposed to the corporate oligarchy that they've been paying homage to the last, you know, 20 years or so. You know, and I think a prime example of this is you see these folks online basically saying that Bernie Sanders isn't a real Democrat. This is the verbiage they use. And, and yeah. you know, one of the things they'll bring up is, is he has a D-minus rating from the NRA, which is a pretty – that's a bad rating. And mm-hmm. I hear this, and then I turn around and say, but there are eight Democrats that have A ratings. So explain yeah. to me how he's... <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And they're the real ones. It's, it's not just the name. It has to do with policy and authenticity. Uh, you know, and I don't understand the thinking behind that. So I th- yeah. I'm, I'm thankful that we have folks on the outside pushing the party left because it is what needs to happen. We need to return yes. to our... our uh, our roots, you know, our FDR right. Henry Wallace roots. We really uh, do. Yeah, as a as a community, yeah. as a as a people, we need to stand up for our democracy. And I mean, you know, this yeah. whole um, European countries have a multi party system. So yeah. the fact that we have this basically this two party system, and other parties are left out, and um, right. you know, independents are, are not you know given the the recognition they need. I mean, Bernie is an independent again. He's running for his right. Senate race as an independent again. Um, if he runs again in 2020, he may very likely run as a Democrat again. And I'm behind right. him because uh, I think he can do a lot of good and hope he gets I in um, in 2020. But um, I think we need a multi-party system. And, and you're right, we need to push the Democratic Party to the left. Uh, I, don't, I think there's too much deception. And of course, it's all because they're tied in with their corporate donors. Absolutely. Um, you mm-hmm. also mentioned uh, tuition-free public university, and I, this is a big area for myself. I am a UC graduate, so I benefited mm-hmm. um, from going to public university. And when I went to UCI, we still had a system that was funded by the state. So my, when I was a freshman, mm-hmm. my tuition was four or $500 a quarter. It was very affordable. <laughs> by the yeah. time I graduated, however, it had escalated to almost two k, and now it's completely insane. And you can yeah. see the reasons why, you know, they try to, they perform these audits. Jerry Brown has not been our friend. Um, I, right. Full disclosure, I'm on my alumni board, so I've been watching this very closely. Mm. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of constituents in the state don't realize that the UC funding, the part of the budget that comes from the state is down to less than 10%. It's nothing. They might as well be private right. university. Right. So, uh, right. And I think the history is really important to talk about because when Bernie Sanders brings it up, the automatic reply you get from the Clinton side of the party is that it's a unicorn. But how can it be a unicorn if it's something we once had that we gave away? Mm-hmm. So what is your thoughts about refinancing the system, getting money back in there? Um, how do you go about that? Yeah, well, first of all, you're absolutely right. The the state funding for uh, public universities in California has shrunk uh, enormously, yeah. and the uh, the tuition has gone up exponentially. It's yeah. really outrageous. Every every student should have a right to go on to higher education, and too many absolutely. just can't afford it. So um, they do. The corporate Democrats and Republicans like to say uh, what Bernie proposed in as public. Uh, college and what uh, freak public college and what I'm proposing and what many are proposing is uh, unreasonable or in, unfeasible, <laughs> infeasible. Yeah. But it's so untrue because we need to uh, 
first of all, if we get everybody educated, it's going to be an economic generator because you're going to have Absolutely. people involved and good jobs, and it's going to really help right. the state. Um, but in, the, in order to get there, we need to tax those at the upper echelon of our economic yeah. society. We need to tax corporations. I'm proposing, uh, I mentioned the uh, Prop 13 reform, closing the corporate loophole. That will bring in $11 billion of extra wow. state taxes every year every year. Um, so that's okay. one source of revenue. I'm also uh, proposing a progressive millionaires tax, which will bring in a couple more billion, and an oil severance tax, which also will bring in mm. a few more billion, which we're the only okay. major oil producing state that um, does not tax oil extraction. So if we tax mm. it high enough, we can make sure that um, it becomes eventually uh, non-profitable for the oil companies to keep extracting, which is what we want. We want to mm -hmm. move away from extracting and into 100% renewables. So what we can do is each year raise the extraction tax higher and higher to discourage that. And while we're getting the tax money, we could turn that tax money into renewables. So we could solarize right. the whole state of California. So I'm proposing that as a way to bring in more, more revenue. I believe we could also use some of that revenue for higher education, um, yeah. as well as the progressive millionaires tax and the Prop 13 money that would be coming in. Um, from corporations. So there are many ways uh, to bring in more revenue, and we need to brainstorm, and that's what my campaign for Lieutenant Governor is always talking about. I'm talking about getting into this position so that um, we can bring together progressive think tanks of community mm -hmm. experts and people who have been working on various issues and dig right. deep into the, the solutions. I'll be on the, the Lieutenant Governor sits on the UC Board of Regents and the California right. State uh, University Board of Trustees. So there's opportunities to mobilize around these seats where I could yeah. um, be a champion for these uh, free public college causes and have students mobilize and be the voice That's right. of the community as well. And together our voices will resonate and put pressure on the legislature. So I believe the um, the highest income earners in our state and begin to put that money into the people's agenda rather than yeah. um, have corporations steal all the money and, and right. keep nickeling and diming the uh, the average person um, yeah, to, right. to make so little gain. Uh, we have these big corporations. We're a wealthy state. We should be putting that money into the needs of our communities. So uh, it just takes that power of people coming together. You know, we did it in Richmond. We could do it on a state level if we unite. I agree. So you brought up uh, the important point that Lieutenant Governor is on the Board of Trustees for the, or the UC Regents. And mm -hmm. they have an advocacy group called UCAN that I've participated with some of their forums on. And I actually, I floated a suggestion that you might be interested in. We have direct democracy in the state of California, and the reason the UC budget gets gets lopped off all the time is because it's the highest budget item on the discretionary side. Uh, so they can they can lop it, whereas there's so much mandatory spending now that's been moved to that column through propositions. So mm -hmm. I suggested, you know, and I know that it ties up the budget, and that has its own set of problems. But I suggested that the UC system and the Cal State system need to join 
join the group and fight fire with fire, meaning that they need to put a proposition on the ballot. And I think mm-hmm. it would be an interesting idea if you tied it to eliminating the corporate loophole in Prop 13. So maybe the proposition would look something like, we're going to take this, uh, we're going to close the corporate loophole for Prop 13 and we're going to use that money to refinance the Cal State and UC system. And, and mm-hmm. you would have students on every campus that would be willing to gather signatures as volunteers to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Just a thought that well, I have, what would you think about doing something like that? Well, actually, there is a um, signature gathering process going on for reforming Prop 13. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, there are. Uh, there has been a group that's been working on this for years, and they weren't sure okay. whether they, when they were going to put it on the ballot, whether it was going to be in 2018 or 2020. They did decide to put it on for 2018. So I, I would okay. say just within the last month, they've been starting the signature gathering process. And they're, they're talking about how, how important this is, and I believe they, they will get the needed amount of signatures. Um, I think one so. of the, yeah, because people get it, you know. Um, they when get it. You have, when you have these big corporations manipulating this proposition, when the purpose mm-hmm. of Prop 13 wasn't to help corporations, it was to help seniors and right. um, your average right. homeowner, just the average uh, Californian, not these big corporations. So, um, mm-hmm. But so a lot of this money is um, talked about as being uh, helping education, helping um basically K okay. through K through 12 or K through 14 actually uh, including uh, c- community colleges because okay. um, so that's the you know the quality of our education system in general has went down in California so the 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 amount of money spent per pupil has went down dramatically so they're talking yeah. about using this money to build up K through 14 however i think we could also build up uh, or put money into free public college, but we could also use some of these, uh, put some of these um, other initiatives into play to make sure we have totally free public college for everyone, like it used to be. I mean, in the past, we know it used to be, um, like you said, uh, just a few hundred dollars a quarter, Mm -hmm. and and even before that, there was a time not that long ago when it was for free. So that's, that's, yeah, that's where we need to get back to, and I believe we will. There's enough people who get it, and there's enough people who will fight for it. And when we fight, we win. Yeah, you know, and the irony is that Pat Brown, uh, the master plan, Pat Brown was the gentleman that actually created the system and had it set up this way. And it's so so unironic to see Jerry Brown Mm -hmm. now fighting with Janet Napolitaniano over the UC budget, not... Mm-hmm. You know, he had promised her a certain amount of money. Then he turned around and took took some of it back because he wanted yeah. to use it to finance loans for private universities. I don't understand mm-hmm. this. Right. The way a lot of so-called, um, you know, progressive thinkers have went um, is, yeah. is really disappointing. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, uh, another, I just wanted to mention this because there are groups working on the free public college. Um, okay. and ideas, and one of them is a group that's uh, putting forward something called the $48 fix. And what okay. they are suggesting is putting in place um, a tax, but it would be a mm-hmm. small tax for the, uh, the medium family, the, um, the median family income, or let me say this right, so um, the 
families who have uh, the median income would be paying $48 a year. And those okay. who make less than the median income would be paying less than $48 a year. And of course, those paying, um, have taking in more than the median income would be paying more than 48 so when you go higher and higher in terms of income you pay oh, okay. more and more so it is progressive in that regard Not regressive. and they yeah, that's great yeah and so they um mentioned the master plan because they're yeah. they've worked it out and there's a lot of okay. faculty that are involved in this and student groups and unions and their whole um, approach is that not only will this bring in enough money to um have free public college for everyone, but it will bring in enough money to bring up the quality of education for all all students uh, and the student uh, and the state um, per student money that is being spent so that it fits into the master plan um, because right. it has shrunk the amount per student has shrunk so drastically we're no longer living up to the master plan but it will put in more money per student such that the master plan will be in place as it should have been all along and we'll have enough money to have the kind of classes the kind of quality right. classes that are needed because oftentimes uh, classes aren't available every semester or every That's quarter right. and so students have to extend their uh, education That's period right. beyond four years just to get the needed right. classes because there's not enough money to put all the classes uh, in one semester so this will bring in the amount of money needed so I'm very interested in that $48 fix people people can look it up by um, basically googling $48 fix and learn more okay. about it that's great I did not know about this you know, in another area is the food insecurity. We actually have a food bank on campus now for students. And I, as crazy as that sounds, this is an actual thing. The kids don't, aren't able to buy, mm -hmm. they don't have money left over for food after they pay for the wow. tuition, housing, books, and everything else. It's that expensive yeah. now. You know, wow. we do a program um, with our alumni from UC Irvine where we do um, Dinner with Anteaters is what it's called. And alumni, mm -hmm. like myself, host mm -hmm. current students for dinner in our houses. You know, wow. and I did one of these. Yeah, it's a great program because you yeah. really get to talk talk to these kids about what's going on, and and you get a really clear view of the struggle. And yeah. some of them, you know, they ha they come. UCI is known for the fact that they have taken in the largest majority of first first students, first in their uh, family to go to college students, which I think is an mm -hmm. achievement. So they're doing this great yeah. job of educating. Um, these kids that normally wouldn't have a shot at an education and it's a you know it's public uh, Ivy League school it's a very good school but one mm -hmm. of the things I've noticed is a lot of these kids are poor you know they're not yeah they're not coming from wealthier yeah. families and it's a struggle for them to uh, sure. with the loans just to get through get through the four yes. or five years that they have to be there Anyway, Absolutely. So and and then they end up having the heavy debt afterwards. Exactly. But it's wonderful to exactly. hear that, that there's programs that, you know, have dinner with students. It sounds a one, like a wonderful way to get to know the students and to get to know their struggles. But it's not right, right that students shouldn't have enough no, it's money not. It's not. to put food on the table. So um, this is, yeah, this is really, we're in, we're in some really, uh, catastrophic times that we have to fix. I agree. Um, pretty pretty I agree. quickly. I agree. It's crazy. I mean, the income inequality yeah. is so severe. It's you know, right. 
the worst it's right. been ever. It's worse now than it was in the 1920s. And this, you know, people look at the top layer of the economic data and they think, well, everything looks fine. I'm like, well, no, yeah. it's not fine because all of that <laughs> right. money is going to the 1%. That's, That's the problem. Exactly I mean, most of the wealth right. created last year, like over 80% of it went to the 1%. That's an insane, unsustainable thing. It's this is not very, equality of very opportunity. True. That's so, so true. The the so-called American dream is just not yeah, here anymore. It's gone. Yeah, that no, the, uh, you know the ninety-nine percent is what you know we need to keep raising up, and uh, the priorities yeah. of the ninety-nine percent need to be the priorities that we stand for time and time again. And um, it was great to have Occupy movement stand for it, and yeah. then have Bernie Sanders pushback on Wall Street and you yeah. know, cities like Richmond, um, it's, it can be done. Like and we just have to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad to be a part of the solution, but we need, we need everybody. You know, there's no standing yeah. on the sidelines anymore. Everybody no, has to do their part. It's, you know, right. it's, not, it's not one of these storms that's going to pass. You know, we have to, right. have to fight and, uh, like I said, stand for the priorities of the 99% and um, make sure people know that when we fight, we win, and when we unify, we win, and when we uh, stand up against these, this corporate control of our lives. I mean, that's yeah. where we're at. And, you know, it's not yeah. only the corporations, it's the elected, the candidates and the elected officials that they fund. So the, these elected officials become the corporation's intermediaries, and they do their bidding, and they put into place the policies for the corporations. So people need to know that and um, right. you know, vote for corporate-free candidates. I'm That's putting, right. uh, called Gale Force. Uh, somebody yes, you are. I'm that. you about that. <laughs> And we have like a 32, 32 corporate-free candidates uh, up and down the state and all levels of government that are um, running corporate-free on a progressive agenda. And I'm just uh, really pleased to, to stand together with them and, of course, with all the progressive groups. Which is fantastic. You also have a really fascinating idea that I think more people need to hear about, learn about, and consider you propose the state of California creating a state bank. Um, yes. Now, just to give some background on this for the audience, uh, North Dakota has a state bank. I think they're the only state that does. Right. And this is basically a bank that's chartered by the state in the same way as um, any other bank would be, except now it's the state that's doing the chartering. So right. it's, it's a public bank. Um, now, exactly. what, is your, what would your proposal, I think this is a compelling idea, what is your proposal to get that set up is it something that would be um, doable? I believe in, uh, what, was it 2012? This was attempted in the state, but the bank lobby shut it down. So it's not exactly. a new idea. Yeah, uh, many groups came together and really pushed for it. And um, it, it was, you know, it was turned down. The legislature did not pass it, but we can and should pass um, a uh, law that allows for a California public bank and, and municipal banks. L.A. is considering a public bank. And in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. there's some studies going on. So we could have city banks, regional public banks, and a statewide public bank like North Dakota, which has been in existence, their bank, for over 100 years. And it's really right. a good way to um, address the needs of the state and, and the community because 
your the purpose of a public bank is to serve the public good, not to make a profit. And right. private banks are you know its purpose is to make a profit. So you know there's uh, all kinds of high interest and. Um, you know, when when a city I know as mayor of Richmond, you're floating bonds, and then you have right. you have to pay back these banks that are causing you know really really high or charging really really high interest. So rate, that's yeah. the city's tax money that comes from the city residents that's going to pay back these bonds that the city mm-hmm. needed to maybe repair streets or whatever. So if we have a public bank um, statewide, we can do so many things we could you know put in place many infrastructure ish uh, uh programs and we could put in mm-hmm. place affordable housing programs we could prioritize truly affordable right. housing uh, we could address the homeless issue by setting up tiny villages you know on state land and setting up right. um you know various types of um shelters really nice shelters where people can have an apartment a homeless person and and get the services they need to get back on their on their feet you know in salt lake city Mm -hmm. they built apartment buildings and gave them to the homeless to um to stay in for free and help them get back on their feet in california it is so sad that we have so much homelessness so i see a public bank helping with the homelessness issue with affordable housing in general with infrastructure mm-hmm. with small business loans you know we could mm-hmm. do worker owned co-ops you know worker owned worker managed co-ops where yeah. we yeah. have uh people getting some seed money from the bank from the public bank and paying it back um in an affordable way and at the same time making money through their business to circulate it within the state so that and within the cities that the um, businesses live in or the worker co-ops uh, occupy right. and uh, you know that that helps bring about uh, economic growth in cities and in the state so a public bank is definitely the way to go we just and it like you mentioned it's happened in North Dakota, and they're doing pretty right. darn well. So this is another one of those things that people like to say it's pie in the sky, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. It has it's it tried is. and true, and we we just have to push back against uh, the big banks that don't want to have it happen. Right. So the incentives for the banking lobby, uh, like you mentioned, just for clarification, is they make money on our bonds. So every time the state yeah. issues bonds for infrastructure repairs, the bank is collecting fees on that. And if we mm-hmm. issued these bonds directly from a state bank, those fees disappear, and that money can now be used um, for more infrastructure projects or for affordable housing, even perhaps student loans for you know UC students, yeah. so we can get rid yeah. of the banks being involved in that. I think it's a great idea. I think it's very compelling. I think it's a uh-huh. win-win. Obviously, the corporate yeah. oligarchy doesn't like it, but <laughs> yes, of course. But, I think it's, but everything I think it's, you say is absolutely true. Yeah, what you say is absolutely true. There's, the possibilities are endless. Um, it's it's money that um, you know is there for the public, and uh, we have so many needs. We have so many uh, issues that are needed, from infrastructure to housing to uh, education and you know healthcare. So many things that uh, a public bank could use to um, to really help implement and implement without uh, having someone make an enormous profit through through right. that implementation. 
Right. Uh, so let me, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the fact that when you ran for mayor, you did run up against an incumbent Democrat and you mm -hmm. ran on a very progressive platform and you mm -hmm. won. And I think this is a great example for the folks out there that want to make the argument that progressive platforms can't win and that mm -hmm. we need to stick to this more center area if otherwise we're going to lose seats. I think this is the wrong way to look at it because we've lost the Democratic Party. When I say we, I, I should say the Democratic Party has lost 1,100 seats in the last few years, and their answer mm -hmm. is always to, to steer more towards the right. And mm -hmm. obviously steering more towards the right is bringing us more losses. If you run a Republican against a Republican, the Republican's going to win. So I think, right, so I think your example is um, clear evidence that this is not the case. Um, so tell us a little bit about that run and the, the platform that you were using um, to, to win that seat. Yes, so um, in my first mayoral campaign was 2006, and I was running against a, an incumbent, and mm -hmm. um, the city, you know, had was spiraling downward it was clear to people that things were not getting better um, the violence was getting more out of control street crime um, their uh, poverty there was no plan to uh, reverse pro poverty it was all about mm -hmm. the trickle-down theory you know eventually you know right. if we build some um, really nice uh, uh, homes eventually the property tax will come up reach such a level that we'll have more opportunities for others in the community but that you know that never happened they started with that thinking decades ago and um, so I brought forward um, a whole new approach and it wasn't just me of course I was running side by side with the Richmond Progressive Alliance I had a great campaign team and we talked about how we need more taxes from Chevron um, you know, we talked about how we need to educate our youth. We need a job training program. Uh, I talked mm -hmm. about a youth corps that would put uh, part -time, uh, have the city employ part-time uh, part level um, year in and year out youth within our community. And how would we fund this, people would say. And I would say right. through taxing Chevron. And like I mentioned, we got over 100 a million dollars in additional taxes from Chevron over it. the um, you know this is spread out over f 15 years but it came from community pressure so you have yep. to tap into people's imagination and let them know that you can address the root causes of your problems uh, like the root causes of crime for example you can uh, give opportunity to our youth recreation pro programs we we opened up all our community centers which had been closed um, to some extent when I first got on the council because of a, a big deficit the city had mm -hmm. so we really agitated so a lot in terms of the the council at that point, which still had mostly Chevron candidates or right, Chevron right. office holders sitting on the council at that point. Um, and with that agitation, the community um, made a big difference, uh, put pressure on those other elected officials who, who you know, were willing to make some changes. But uh, when I ran for mayor in 2006, people really knew we needed a new person at the helm of the city the new tone who said this down this downward spiral has to be mm -hmm. reversed and we have to start right. spiraling upward and that's exactly what we did you know uh, like I dramatically reduced crime we opened up all our community centers renovated our 
Parks, um, had a you know an award-winning green job training program. Many, many programs were put in place. We helped homeowners. We now have rent control in Richmond. We're the um, right. first city that uh, in 30 years, actually there's one more too, uh, in 2016, both Richmond and Mountain View um, passed a new rent control law. And these are the first new rent control laws in 30 years in California. Yeah. And so that came, again, from building a coalition getting the word out, you know, many hands make light work. So our approach from how I won my first mayor's race to my second, my re-election, and my two council races, and the other progressive alliance uh, council races, it all came by bringing together a coalition and building relationships with the community. You really have to have that authentic one-on-one with people, being at the community events, passing out um, you know, literature, come to the RPA, that's the Richmond Progressive Alliance, come to our forums, you know, we'll, we'll, have, we'll show a movie about this or that event or this or that um, issue, we'll have discussions, we'll have, we have parties too where people can celebrate our gains. Each time we make a, a success, we want to celebrate it because people need to know it was their energy and their um, willpower that made it happen. So I think that that is key, just coming together um, during campaign years because you want to win those progressive seats, but right. also in non-election years to keep the community mm-hmm. energized and uh, have them play a role. Absolutely. So you briefly mentioned uh, that you had passed the first rent control laws in 30 years in California. And I did want to ask uh-huh. you about this because in this state, um, we we passed a, a bill, um, Costa-Hawkins, that uh-huh. really changed a lot of the rent controls in the city municipalities. But now we have AB 1506 that will um, take that control back to the local government. Um, it's winding its way through the legislature now. So how are you able to do that in Richmond? Um, tell us a little bit about getting that policy passed, putting it in place. Did you have any interference from the state? Uh, was Costa Hawkins a problem for you? Like, yeah. what was the whole story so, on that? Um, so First of all, we, again, we built a coalition, so it was not only the RPA. The RPA helped organize a coalition of 20 groups that okay. re- went door to door, and we put out ads, and we um, wrote articles, and we held town hall meetings, and um, we made it clear that we were going to institute this, this ballot measure of rent control if people stood together. Um, Yes, Costa Hawkins um, was in place, still is in place, so we could only cover some of the whole, uh, some of the renters in buildings okay. that um, were built before 1995. So Costa okay. Hawkins is a problem. Uh, we want to protect all renters. So I was just at right. a rally in San Diego where um, okay. there was a huge rally that was. Um, 
supported and put on by various community groups who are gathering signatures to repeal Costa Hawkins. So I had an opportunity to speak at that rally and talk about Richmond's work and say, yes, we need to repeal Costa Hawkins so we can protect mm -hmm. all renters. You know, as, well, the big slogan at that march was the rent is too damn high. So yeah. it's very clear <laughs> yeah. to people that we have to change this. And so um, we, we know that... Um, that some changes need to happen. People are gathering signatures to repeal Costa Hawkins. So uh, together we're going to make it happen. Tell okay. me a little bit about the worker co-op that you speak about on your website. These are is, is an alternative business forum in which the workers actually own the business and each wor mm -hmm. worker gets a vote in how the business, when they make business decisions. So it's one worker, one vote. Mm -hmm. Where did you get this idea? I think it's a really viable uh, choice and it would help right. uh, raise the, the pay and everything else, and it would be a good, mm -hmm. good setback uh, against corporate America and the, the uh, things they've been doing. Right, yes. So um, worker-owned co-ops are really um, an important piece of our, of our democracy, of, of moving forward with a true democracy. You know, it's one thing to have democracy in terms of elected, um, the elected process, the electoral process, but we also need democracy in the workplace. So um, mm -hmm. when I was mayor, I went to Mondragon, Spain. Mondragon is a um, really considered the world capital of worker co-ops. They've had co-ops since the 1950s, and they now have a network of 120 worker-owned co-ops where um, together they are something like the sixth or seventh largest and wealthy, most wealthy business in Spain. So they've wow. really thrived with all these, this network of co-ops. So I went there to learn about co-ops and uh, just had a great time and, you know, I went through a lot of seminars and visited co-ops and learned how the, the um, workers make all the decisions. It's fully managed as well as owned mm -hmm. by the workers. You know, if, there's, if they need to change the machinery so that it's more um, uh, ergonomic and more comfortable for the workers, mm. they make decisions, hey, we're going to change this, um, the machinery so we don't have to bend over so hard or whatever. They, right. they have this, this on-the-job um, experience so that they know what decisions will help them. And, of course, they make decisions about production, how much to produce, what kind of product. It's really the way to go. Hmm. And so um, I learned about it um, in Mondragon and came back to Richmond and spread the word in Richmond. We held many um, you know, community meetings and you know, did some uh, field trips to various co-ops in the Bay Area, and our community learned a lot. And now we have a program in Richmond called Cooperation Richmond, which is kind of mm. incubating these co-ops. And uh, wow, we hope great. to have, we had a revolving loan uh, fund to give seed money that uh, now we're, uh, it kind of went um, stagnant for a while, but now we're getting it up and running again. So, yeah, and at, on the statewide level, I, I want to make this happen as well. We really need to consider democracy in all aspects, including the workplace. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a very compelling solution. And also, this could be tied into the state bank idea. I think uh, one of the things the state bank would be able to do is lend money to a startup co-op. 
absolutely that would be it would be so wonderful to have a state bank and have you know groups of people who say hey we're going to start our own business our own co-op um can you right. give us a, a reasonable loan to get us right. going and as our business starts to thrive um we're going to pay the public bank back i think that's Brilliant. that's a wonderful way to uh to really really uh help our community uh, both economically, democratically, and to produce good products that people really need, you know, and, and do it in yeah. a responsible way. Exactly. So now if somebody wants to contribute to your campaign, where is the best place for them to do that? Okay, great. Thank you for that. So people can go to my website. It's scaleforcalifornia.org, and that's G-A-Y-L-E-F-O-R. California.org and if they click on the volunteer button and I hope they they are willing to do that they can sign up to be a volunteer we're doing things like uh, texting and phone banking okay. to identify people who are willing to vote for me to spread the message mm -hmm. and we've got hundreds of thousands of, of people that are already committed to voting for me and we we want to keep keep spreading the word and telling people um, we need your vote in June for the primary. Um, but they could also right. click on the donate button um, and there they can donate whatever they can. You know, we don't take corporate donations, but uh, those small donations add up. And if people can yeah. give a little more than a small donation, anything helps. So um, I really encourage people to go play a role in this campaign. It's our campaign. You know, yep. when I win this, I'm in this to win it for all of us. You know, this is, this is not a hierarchical thing I'm doing. I want to play this role as lieutenant governor to stand side by side with, um, with the community and build a California that's, that uh, has the right priorities, the people's priorities for all of us. That's fantastic. That's exactly what we need in the state. And also, is your Gale Force, is the list of the candidates that you have uh, endorsed, are they all mm -hmm. on your website as well so we can look and see who those folks are? Yes. Um, they should okay. be on the website. People want to email me. I could um, okay. either refer them to that list of candidates on the website or I could send them an email with the list of them. Okay. They could email me at Gale, G-A-Y-L-E, at galeforcalifornia.org. All right, fantastic. I really enjoyed this conversation. I wanted to thank you for all the work you have done in the state, in Richmond. Um, you are a strong voice for progressive politics, and bless you for that. Uh, well, thank you, Tina. It's been a joy. It's, it's, I always enjoy talking to like-minded people, and it's clear yeah. you're well-informed. You've got that willpower, and uh, that's, that's the kind of uh, synergy we need. So keep up your, your show and your work, and uh, uh, keep spreading the message. 